0: was encouraged with that message this morning. Tremendous, tremendous. Somebody said your dreams should always be larger than your memories. Your dreams should always be bigger than your memories. So most of you are in the uh, starting out stages of your life and ministry, and uh, I just want to encourage you to get a, get a vision from God for your assignment for life. God puts you here for a purpose. He puts you here to solve somebody's problem. That's why you're here. And find out what that is and go for it, no matter what anybody says. Don't let the cold water committee put out the fire that's burning in your heart. And keep that fire going and I'll tell you what, good things can happen. All right, this morning I wanna talk to you on the subject of a revived conscience or the importance of conscience in revival. Mark Twain said a clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. A clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. Well, we can hope for better things than that. Uh, 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, The end of the commandment, the whole goal of the Word of God, is charity or love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Hebrews 13 says, Brethren, pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. If Christianity is anything, it's a religion of the conscience. Now, nations have a collective conscience. churches have a corporate conscience. And individuals need a clear conscience. And that's what Paul says here in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. If you have your Bible, flip there or do we have it on the screen? Here it is. Let's read it out loud together. Just read it out loud, please. And herein do I exercise myself... Man, I like your enthusiastic singing and your enthusiastic reading. So read it one more time. I want to hear it. I'm going to save my voice. And herein. Now, that was quite a statement for Paul to make as he stood in a public forum, defending himself against false and unjust accusations. Jesus said this. He said, the light of the body is the eye. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy body is also full of light. But when thy eye is evil, the body is also full of darkness. You know, your conscience is like a window. And when the pane is clean, clear, you can see clearly. But if the window pane is dirty, things appear distorted. You know, your eye is the window of your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. And when the conscience is clear, you're walking in the light. But when the window of the soul is cloudy, you're walking in darkness. Now, the Bible has much to say about the conscience. It speaks of a seared or a defiled conscience. It speaks of a good conscience. It speaks of a pure conscience. And the Bible also speaks about the perils, the perils, the dangers of the conscience. And I want to give you five conditions of conscience to begin with, five conditions of conscience we find in the Bible. First of all, there is a restless conscience. Last night we heard about rested or wrestling. And I want to talk to you about a restless conscience. It says in Romans chapter 2 that the work of the law is written in their hearts, their conscience also uh, bearing them witness of their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. A restless conscience. Now God has written this moral law at the heart of the human race. And conscience is either busy excusing or accusing the human heart. I want to tell you that the con- your conscience can commend you. Your conscience can condemn you. Your conscience can convict you. And a restless conscience is easily detected because it's always felt when things are just not right. Remember Joseph down in Egypt. When his brothers showed up, they felt like they were being punished because of their abuse of their brother. This was years after they had sold him into slavery. They had a restless conscience. King Darius could not sleep as long as Daniel was in the lion's den because he had a restless conscience. The widow woman of Zarephath said to Elijah, O man of God, are you come to call my sin to remembrance? She had a nagging conscience. She had a restless conscience. When Herod heard of one going about, preaching about the kingdom of God, he thought it was John the Baptist that he had beheaded. Why? Because he had an uneasy, restless conscience. Somebody said your conscience is either like a watchdog or a bloodhound. It's either excusing or it's accusing you. And a restless conscience can be be God's searchlight for sin. So there's such a thing as a restless conscience. But listen to this. There's such a thing as a wrecked or a ruined conscience. A wrecked conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. A seared, calloused, uh, unproductive, unresponsive conscience. Titus chapter 1 says, Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. A seared conscience, a defiled conscience, an insensitive conscience. How many of you ever slept through an alarm clock as it kept on beeping? Beep, 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 beep. (laughs) I had a wake-up call this morning. I ignored it three times. (laughs) I didn't want to go answer it. But, uh, you know, you can program yourself to ignore a wake-up call or an alarm clock, and you can condition yourself to ignore or disregard the warnings of conscience. You can get to the point where you can do anything, and your conscience will excuse you. And when that happens, you have a wrecked or a ruined conscience. I read about these cave salamanders. They live in the dark dens of the earth somewhere, and they have no eyes. They no longer have eyes on the surface, cave salamanders. Now, they weren't created that way, but they once had eyes, but they ventured off into this darkness, and they lived in dark, total darkness for so long that they couldn't see. So gradually in time, uh, their eyes were covered over with skin. And the darkness had conditioned them to permanent blindness. They had lost the capacity to see it all. An erect conscience is one that is disconnected. It's dismantled. It's lost its capacity to function because it's been hardened by sin. Listen to uh, the definition of an Indian from northwest Canada. Listen to what he said. He said, conscience is a little three-sided piece of iron in my heart that turns round and round and it hurts. But if I do not listen to it, by and by, the corners will wear off and then it will not hurt anymore. You know, a dead conscience feels no pain. A dead conscience has an inability inability to own its own guilt. A a dead conscience is broken, it's non-functioning, and you can become a spiritual psychopath. I know pastors who are spiritual sociopaths. They're psychopaths. I know one guy who left his wife, left his wife, and said that God had led him to take up with somebody other than his wife. I'm telling you, that guy's got a dead conscience. And by the way, crediting God with sin is blasphemy. And God's not responsible for evil. And the only person that can blaspheme God is a person with a dead conscience. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. So there's a wrecked conscience. There's a restless conscience. There's also a wretched, a wretched or a worthless conscience. Now Wordsworth described a conscience like this. God's most intimate presence in the soul. Now listen to this. God's most intimate presence in the soul and his most most perfect image in the world. Now that sounds really spiritual, (laughs) but it's not necessarily true. Can I say that conscience is not the infallible guide of man? Conscience is not the infallible guide of man, and conscience is not always the voice of God. Why else could a radical Muslim slam a plane into the World Trade Center's and, 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 and do it with a good conscience? How could a Hebrew or a Hindu mother throw her uh, baby in the river for her goddess and, with the approval of conscience? How could the Catholic leaders uh, uh, burn Christians at the stake believing they were doing the right thing? They did it with the right conscience. Uh, Paul, or the apostle, or Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing the right thing when he persecuted the early Christians. You see, you can live by your conscience and not be living according to the will of God. And just because your conscience is silent does not guarantee that everything is okay. Living with a faulty conscience does not mean you're innocent. Let me say this. Conscience is more important than intelligence. Conscience is more important than intelligence. You can sit under the best exposition of Scripture and still have a heart of stone. Nobody knew the Bible better than the Pharisees, but they rejected the Savior. A friend of mine stood at a meeting one night and he said, I've been having chest pains lately. He said, I've been having chest pains and I've discovered my problem is I have a heart of stone. A fracture, a stress fracture in my heart of stone. And I want to tell you that the heart of man, apart from the Holy Spirit, is deceitful. I know a man who Left his wife, took up with another woman, and gave God the credit, saying it was the will of God. I heard about a man who married another man a few years ago and said that God had made him that way, a wrecked conscience. Now Ephesians four nineteen says it talks about being past feeling, past feeling, be, being callous. They gave themselves up to sensuality and impurity, a wrecked or a ruined conscience. It was nineteen eighty three. You know, you don't have to be far off to be way off. You don't have to be far off to get way off. Back in 1983, Korean Airlines flight 007. Brother Zimple will remember this. Nobody else here will remember this, but uh, he will remember this. Uh, flight number 007 left Anchorage, Alaska for Seoul, Korea. were only, only 10 minutes after takeoff and the plane veered off course ever so slightly. The pilot put the plane on autopilot, and they continued on that path for the next five hours. Well, they had veered way off course into Soviet airspace by that time. The Soviets shot the airliner down, killing everybody on board. Now, at first, it was only slightly off course. But in time, in time, it veered way off course, and the consequences were deadly. And I want to tell you, it's a dangerous thing when your conscience begins to excuse you in the small things. Now, if you can can justify the smallest sin, you will grow to justify the biggest sin. And when God speaks, you had better listen and act because you can sin away your day of grace. Listen to me. You can sin away your day of grace. You can get to the point where your heart is so hard, you never hear from God. You can sit in a thousand meetings under the most anointed preaching. But if all you hear is the sound of silence, it's because your conscience has been wrecked. And the Bible says, he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall be cut off, and that without remedy. What is the worst thing that can happen to a human being? What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you or your parents? What's the worst thing that can happen to your spouse? I'll tell you the worst thing that can happen to a human being is not cancer. That's bad, but that's not the worst. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is not bankruptcy. It's not job loss. The worst thing is not the loss of a family member. The worst thing is not betrayal. The worst thing is not sickness and affliction. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is when they no longer hear the speaking voice of God. And I want to tell you that your conscience is worthless and wasted when it's not calibrated to the Word of God. But there's another condition of conscience I want you to consider momentarily, and that's a responsive conscience. A responsive conscience. In the Gospels, when that woman was taken in adultery and brought to Jesus, all the accusers were there. Jesus stooped and wrote in the sand. And the Bible says that they that heard being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even until the last. Now, whatever Jesus wrote in the sand uh, uh, convicted their conscience, and at least they had a responsive conscience. Now listen, conscience is the medium through which God speaks to you. In one sense, conscience is the voice of God in the soul of man. It's the cell phone through which God speaks his message to your heart. Bill McLeod said that when our heart is tender, a feather could fall on it and leave an impression. When our hearts are tender, a feather could fall on it and leave an impression. And if your conscience is awake, it will alert you. But if your conscience is dormant, it can be aroused. Now, let me talk to you for a moment about the danger of a morbid conscience. You know, some people are sensitive. Some of us are overly sensitive. And, uh, you know, our consciences can condemn us over inconsequential things. And I want to tell you, you got to get your conscience calibrated to the Word of God. It's kind of like a thermostat. If it's too hot, you can tone it down. If it's too cool, you can tone it up. And you got to get it calibrated right with the Word of God. Back in uh, uh, the mid-'80s, my wife was expecting our first child. We left Virginia on a tour. Back in those days, we would drive from the East Coast to California. I said, we would drive from Virginia to California... We had a Volkswagen Rabbit diesel, got 55 miles to a gallon. We could, go, we could drive all the 3,000 miles for 20 bucks back in those days. <laughs> Not as old as Brother Zimple. And uh, we were out there in California. We were coming back home, and we'd never seen the uh, Grand Canyon. Now, after you've been on the road in, in a while, uh, you think, well, boy, it's just all glamour, and you go around seeing everything. After two years, there's nothing you want to see. There's nothing in the world that you would drive out of your way to see. But, we're coming back from uh, Southern California and we decided we'll stop in Flagstaff and then we'd go up to the Grand Canyon. Well, uh, we got up the next morning, went up to the Grand Canyon, it was kind of overcast, kind of like Wisconsin, and uh, at least the roads were decent, See amen on that point right there. (laughs) These roads you got up here, man. But anyhow. We were on the way up to uh, Grand Canyon, and we went through the Sun Crater National Forest. Anybody ever been to the Sun Crater National Forest? Really? Well, don't worry about it. But uh, we were on the way to the (laughs) (laughs) Grand Canyon, and we went through the Sun Crater National Forest. and, And the Sun Crater National Forest is where they have acres and acres and acres of pumice, lava rocks. And they tell you that billions and billions and billions and billions of years ago, there was a giant volcanic overflow. And it put all of this, this pumice, this lava rock on the ground. And, uh, and uh, we're all the way in, uh, going through this Sun Crater National Forest with acres and acres of lava rocks. And So I pulled the Volkswagen diesel rabbit over on the side, hopped out of the car, left my pregnant wife sitting, ran down the hill, picked up a couple of these lava rocks, brought them back, Handed them to my wife. I said, hey, look, at these, look, at these, look at these rocks. I thought if we ever had a home with a mantle, we'd put them on the mantle as souvenirs. And my wife, being the Pharisee-like person that she uh, is, said, what are you going to do with these rocks? Well, I'm going to take them home and we'll put them on the mantle if we ever have one. And she said, did you see that sign back there? I said, what sign? Now, the truth is, I saw the sign but only read enough of it to know what the rest of it was going to say. I didn't want to hear what it had to say, so I quit reading the sign. And She said, the sign said, please do not remove anything from the Sun Crater National Park. I said, "Huh? it's only a couple of rocks. She said, what do you think would happen if everybody took a couple of rocks? I said, it'd take another billion years to clean this place out. Look at all these rocks out here. What are you talking about? (laughs) Give me the rocks. I grabbed the rocks and shoved them under the seat. Well, we had a quiet trip up to the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Now, I wanted the distractions. I turned on the radio, and I didn't want to hear a Christian uh, broadcast talking about a clear conscience. (laughs) And I I couldn't listen to the rock station, so I was looking for easy listening or Beethoven or something. And, uh, (laughs) you know, we got up to the Grand Canyon, it was cloudy. We got out of the car, we peered into that big hole, and we said to ourselves, what is the big deal? Got in the car, went home. Now, when I got home, uh, I was restless. I was bothered. I had a hard time sleeping. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't take the phone calls. Man, I was up at night watching Johnny Carson and eating pepperoni Ritz crackers, which is a sure sign you're backslid on God when you get in this, this kind of condition. And, and, and I moped around the house for three days, three days, and, and, and finally I said, Okay, God, what's wrong? And guess what? The first thing came to my mind the rocks. The rocks. So I've been through this. I went out to the car, got the rocks, brought them in the house, wrapped them up, put them in a box, wrote a letter to the park ranger, Sun Crater National Forest. Dear sir, recently I visited your park and I stole these rocks. (laughs) And the devil's saying, nobody does it. If you do this, if you send these back, they're going to send a a, a, a truck and a couple of dudes in white suits are going to hop out and haul you off to some psychiatric uh, uh, institution. And, and, and I just kept on writing. <laughs> I said, dear sir, I stole these rocks. I just cut right to the chase. No nice way to put it. And I, I'm returning these rocks. And I'm asking you to forgive me for swiping these rocks. Well, I packaged it up. I took it to the post office. I'm not making this up. The moment I paid the uh, postmistress, the moment I paid for the postage, my conscience was set free. No more Johnny Carson, no more Pac-Man, but I kept on with the pepperoni crackers. But You say, well, I was such a small thing. Well, if it's big enough to bother you, it's big enough to do something about it. But let me just say this to you, for some of you. Uh, Once you have confessed your sins to God one time and get reminded of it again, it's not God convicting you, it's the devil trying to condemn you. And the devil will beat you to death with every sorry thing you've ever done. And don't feel like you're the only one that ever did anything wrong. <laughs> There's not a just man upon the face of the earth. Listen to me. Listen to me. Once God forgives you and cleanses you, He never reminds you of your sins. Again, that is not God, the Holy Ghost, talking to you. That is the unholy spirit talking to you. And for some of you that, that have an overly sensitive conscience, you've got to learn to just believe God. And, and not only don't pray your way out of faith, but don't unbelieve your way out of forgiveness either. And and I'm just telling you, uh, an overly sensitive conscience will condemn you. Now, listen, you should always listen to the speaking voice of God. And every now and then you need to pray that prayer. Search me, O God, and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Let God do the probing, probing of your conscience. Now, listen, you seldom do well when you ask yourselves questions. And God doesn't want you going on a witch hunt to try to figure out what's wrong with you. You can't self-diagnose yourself. That's why you need to open yourself up to the Lord. And and morbid introspection is neither healthy nor helpful. And if you look like a backslidden Amish man, uh, you need to get a clear conscience to get filled with the joy of God's salvation. I'm, I'm serious here. Morbid introspection is not going to help you. It's not healthy and it's not helpful. But Holy Spirit inspection is always beneficial. Stop searching your heart. Let God search your heart. Now, Paul spoke of righteousness, self control, and judgment to come. And the Bible says it caused Felix to tremble. Why? Because his conscience was pricked. He had a responsive conscience, at least. It was 1994, we had this guy at our men's prayer advance. And he spoke on the subject of revival in the home. And if you want to get a man's attention, talk to him about his children. You want to get get a guy's heart, talk to him about his children. Well, this guy got up. He wasn't an orator. He wasn't a pulpit pounder. He just opened up some text that, man, I never paid any attention to. And when he finished, like the Spirit of God fell on the crowd, and 90% of the people fell out of their seats on their faces and began to sob and weep uncontrollably. This went on for an hour. Ruined the schedule. Praise God. And uh, we had to cancel the next session. We prayed all the way through it. And you know why? Because there were sensitive consciences. We're at the uh, uh, Master's Inn uh, back in the early days of the prayer advance. We had this guy from the Canadian Revival common. After service one night, he pulled out a chair. And he said, now here's a chair. And he put it right in the middle, the middle of the aisle down front. He said, now here's a chair. And if anybody here is struggling and needs to be prayed for, just, just, just come up here and have a seat, and tell us what the problem is, and we'll pray over you. Now, I'm not making this up. People people were fighting to get on the hot, we called it the hot seat, after it was all over, the hot seat, the guy sat down here, and he'd say, well, I'm having a struggle with my thought life, and you know, he'd be up here weeping and carrying on, and, and then We'd say, okay, get on your knees here, and we'd have people come from the uh, congregation and lay hands on them and pray over the guy. Now, we had engineers, doctors, lawyers, salesmen, I think it was eight of them that year, professionals, uh, uh, got called of God out of their current career into the ministry after they got on the hot seat and got their conscience cleared toward God and went home and got it cleared with man. Amazing. It was just, that was just a tool. But you know, the fact of the matter is that the consciences were sensitive and responsive to the speaking, to the speaking voice of God. Now look, where you have deep conviction, you have deep confession. When you have deep confession, you have deep cleansing. And the more honest the confession, the deeper the cleansing. A responsive conscience. Not an overly sensitive, but a responsive conscience. But let me talk to you about this one for a moment. A revived or restored conscience. Now, this is what we want. Let me say that God is not having an end time clearance sale on grace. God is not having a last days uh, clearance sale on grace. He still requires us to get right with God and man. I see extremes. We have cheap grace today. We have something called cheap grace Secular evangelicalism has redefined grace as a substitute for righteous behavior. So we have cheap grace. And then we have the no grace crowd. No grace. It's all law and no mercy. They're modern day Pharisees that can pinpoint everything that's wrong with everybody under the sun except their own hearts. So, you got no grace, you got cheap grace, but hallelujah, there's such a thing as God's grace, where mercy and truth kiss each other continually. It's not mercy or truth, it's mercy and truth. Let me say the word of God may hurt you. The word of God may hurt you with the truth, but it will never comfort you with a lie. The word of God might comfort you, but will never, will, may will hurt you with the truth, but it will never comfort you with a lie. I was in the first grade. First grade, Southside, Virginia. Father was 46 when I was born. See, some of the best things in life are unanticipated. <laughs> Lived brought up on a tobacco farm, not a dairy farm. We had one cow. That was enough. And uh, <laughs> entered the first grade, public school, Wileysburg, Virginia, the... Widow woman across the street from the elementary school was a storekeeper, an SO, remember that one? Not Exxon, SO garage. Brother Simple, if your memory serves you, you remember SO. And uh, we had this SO service station. So the boys and I would go to the widow woman's SO service station, and a couple of us would distract her. We would distract her. And the, uh, and, and the other one would go behind the counter where the cash register was and we would steal these Tony the Tiger uh, keychains that S.O. was giving, along, giving away back in those days. I, I, had, I bet I had a hundred of them. And, uh, and then we, we progressed in our depravity to where we would distract her, somebody would distract her, and the other one would go behind the counter and steal cigarettes. We're in the first grade and we're stealing cool cigarettes. K-O-O-L cigarettes. Then we'd go over to the elementary school, and we'd go into this abandoned pack house, this barn-like thing, and we'd light those babies up, and then we would go in and drink the orange juice to try to get the nicotine breath off so the teacher wouldn't detect that here we are, a bunch of chain smokers in the first grade. Now, that went on for a whole year. Well, I became a Christian when I'm a teenager. And God gave me about six people I needed to clear things with. Guess who was one of them? Mrs. Owen, the uh, service station widow woman that we had swiped from. I thought, what a scoundrel. What a no-account. What, what kind of guy would do something like this? <laughs> so I went to this woman in fear and trembling. And I said, Mrs. Owen, I, well, I've got to talk to you. And I said, look, when we were in the first grade, here's what happened. And I said, uh, I stole from you. And I'm sorry will you forgive me you know what she said oh Harold that's no big deal all children do that to her nothing to me Mount Everest I said I don't know what all children do but this child did something that was wrong and I'm here to tell you I'm sorry will you forgive me and I want to tell you when I got my conscience clear with her I walked out of there buddy it was like the weight of the world had fallen off my shoulders I thought, man, this is the way to live. To exercise yourself, to have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Now, a restored conscience requires effort. (laughs) Notice what he said. I exercise. (laughs) I exercise. It's a choice. It requires diligence. He said, I exercise myself. He took action. And a clear conscience requires maintenance. To have always a conscience void of offense, it's a continual thing. You've got to work at keeping your conscience clear. Herein do I exercise myself always to have had a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Now let me give you some benefits of a clear conscience quickly if I can. Uh, The benefits of a clear conscience. Number one, a clear conscience will revive a non-existent prayer life. A clear conscience can revive a non-existent prayer life. (laughs) if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I look favorably upon sin, God will not hear my prayer. You know, since prayer is dialogue, you've got to be on speaking terms with Jesus in order to pray. Prayer is not just what you say, but it's what He says back to you. And if you're going to be in dialogue with somebody, you've got to be in fellowship. And a defiled conscience will sabotage your prayer life. You can't pray when there's a cloud between you and God. And a defiled conscience produces a dead prayer life. My middle son, he loves to hunt. And uh, I don't have many guns he's got, but he, he, he wanted a, a, a rifle scope for Like he needs another rifle scope for Christmas. So he goes out and gets this humongous Leopold uh, scope. And, and you know, a rifle scope, when you attach it to the, to the gun, it requires adjustments in two directions. You know, horizontal. And then the vertical adjustment. Can I say, spiritually speaking, it's not enough just to confess your sin to God. you got to put it right on the horizontal level. And clearing your conscience revitalizes your prayer life. In the Canadian revival with Ralph and Lou Cetera in 1971, I think it was, at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon, Canada, <laughs> uh, You know, the pastor didn't do anything as far as what they had asked him to do in preparation, but they had prayed, and they were praying up a storm. Two brothers met at the altar at the first night. I think somewhere in the beginning of the meeting, two brothers who hadn't spoken to each other for years. And they met at the altar, and they got reconciled to God, reconciled to each other. And the revival was on. And eight weeks later, they'd gone from 250 in attendance to 4,000 people meeting on Great Cup Sunday, the equivalent of a Canadian Super Bowl with hockey up there in Canada. And and you know know what happened in that meeting? They had a revitalization uh, of the prayer life individually and in the local church. And I want to tell you, a clear conscience revives your prayer life. Number two, a clear conscience accelerates your spiritual growth. It accelerates your spiritual growth. Hebrews chapter 5 says that strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, who, who even those who by reason of use have their senses, their organ of perception, exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, the more you grow in Christ, the more accurate your conscience becomes. Paul said, "My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. What? What? My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. God communes with His people through the conscience. You hear the speaking voice of God into your soul. And apart from the communion of the Holy Ghost, there is no Christian life. There is no Christian life. Can I say something to you? Don't make the peripheral the main thing. The main thing is walking with God. Jesus is the main thing. He's the main thing. And if you've got Him right in your heart... You can have a bunch of other things wrong, and God will still use you. But I'm just here to tell you, apart from the communion of the Holy Ghost, and when your conscience is clear, uh, you commune with your God. You enter into the closet, and you shut the door. you got to shut the door. I talk about that. I don't know. I heard a definition of a clear conscience that floored me as a teenager. A clear conscience, what is is it? The ability to honestly say... That there is no one on this earth that I have ever wronged, hurt, or offended in any way, and not gone back and attempted to make it right. Oh, man, I heard that. What? The ability to honestly say, there is no one on this earth that I have ever wronged, hurt, or offended in any way, and not gone back and attempted to make it right. When I first heard that, I felt bad. I thought, man, alive, I've done so many people so wrong. I don't know if I have enough decades left to put everything right. But God narrowed it down to about seven or eight key situations. And I want to tell you, as I went, as I went, I began to put things right when things have gone wrong, had gone wrong. And I want to tell you what, what a tremendous blessing. And that will accelerate the Christian growth in your life and in your heart because it unleashes the Holy Spirit. I was in Kalamazoo one time. They had a powerful revival in their church. And uh, I remember a little girl in the first grade or something, seven years old, she stood up there weeping, weeping her eyes out and confessed that she had stolen a paperclip. A paperclip. I remember back in those early days, we used to have deposits on glass soda bottles. This was not an environmental thing. This was an economic thing. And uh, at that point in time, the deposit had gone from two cents to ten cents. I was coming home late one night in my 71 yellow Pinto with my Jesus Saves bumper sticker on the back. I stopped at a store, and I got a soft drink, a Mountain Dew, at one o'clock in the morning, something like that. But I didn't have the deposit, and I didn't have a bottle to leave as a replacement. So I said, I'll do it tomorrow. So I drove home, got in bed, and my conscience began to bother me. You're a thief. That's so what my conscience said. You, you, you took that bottle. You, you didn't leave a deposit. So I wrestled for about 30 seconds, got up out of the bed, put my clothes back on, drove back to the service station, took the empty Mountain Dew bottle, put it in the crate where it belonged, and went home, and I slept very well. Can I tell you that little things... Little things, don't don't be ridiculous, but little things are important, are important. And and you know what? Uh, uh, The physical body, when it comes to your physical body, you either use it or lose it. They call it the atrophy of the muscles. And I want to say that spiritual atrophy is not always permanent. I heard about these rats that had gone so far underground, they partially had lost their sight because they lived in darkness, continual darkness. But gradually as they were exposed to the light, their sight began to return. And I want to say that a dull conscience may have hindered your progress, but clearing your conscience can reactivate your spiritual growth. Let me give you a third thing. A clearing of the conscience results in a restoration of joy. A restoration of joy. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter one, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. This is our rejoicing, the testimony of our conscience. Being right with God and man restores the spirit of rejoicing. But a clouded, guilty conscience will short-circuit the capacity to rejoice. Hebrews says, let us draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The blood of Jesus cleansing from an evil conscience. Cleansed people are happy people. That's why in revival, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. You know what happens in a revival atmosphere? There's heavy-duty conviction. There's blatant, humble, broken confession. There comes powerful cleansing. And then there's love and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. i tell you about that meeting I was in this summer. Those people were knee-deep in love, brother. Now, I know I know northern people are afraid of emotions, but just calm down. God gave you a heart too, Amen. <laughs> I know we go overboard on emotions. I know that, but you go underboard on emotion. Don't think your church needs to look like a, 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 a wake or a funeral home. The most contagious thing that would happen if God's people get full of the Holy Ghost and the joy of God hit them. I heard about one pastor. He said, after they dealt with sin, he said, the joy of the Lord hit the church and has been here ever since. <laughs> it's good to go to church and feel like you've been to church. Anybody with me on this point? <laughs> a restoration of joy. Now listen, uh, fr- joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and your joy is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Bear witness with your spirit. There's no joy on earth to compare a uh, uh, being right with God and man. We were in Columbus, Georgia one time. Had a little touch of God in the meeting. This guy worked for a bakery. And he stood up one night and told how he had stole cookies where he worked. And he had wrestled with God the whole night. And that day he went to his boss and confessed he had stole two bags of cookies. But he stood up there. He didn't get fired. And the boss rejoiced. But he stood up there with the joy of God flowing through him. And can I just tell you something? There's something powerful and something tremendous about Having a clear conscience, it restores joy. And I wonder this morning, is a violated conscience robbing you of your joy? Let me give you a fourth thing. Uh, a clear conscience equips you for spiritual warfare. It equips you for spiritual warfare. Therefore, the thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Listen to this. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now listen, if you don't learn how to fight, you're going to fail. Because you can't, you can't resist the devil when you've got unresolved sin and an unclear conscience in your heart. The devil will beat you to death with your sins. He might be a liar and the father of it, but he can tell the truth when it serves his purposes. And he'll bring all this stuff up and tell you all this kind of stuff. But clearing your conscience disarms the devil. I was in Florida. This guy had burnt his house down in order to collect the insurance. You know, Florida houses were pretty expensive back in those days. (laughs) And he came up and he said, "Uh, what do you think I ought to do? I said, well, you ought to find the nearest, you ought to go to your insurance agent, tell him what you've done, tell him that you're sorry, tell him that you're willing to pay any price, tell him that you want to put this thing right, and what does he recommend uh, in order for you to have a clear conscience putting things right. Had a guy up in Maine one time. Got into this uh, first, first touch of God I ever got in. Went on for two weeks. It was powerful. Up in Maine. Anybody here from Maine? Really? Church. Pasta. (laughs) Bahaba. (laughs) Lobster. (laughs) I like those Maine people. I like those accents. Well, this guy had been in uh, in the Navy and he stole a bunch of tools. He got a conviction. I said, well, brother, go to the nearest naval base, find a commanding officer, tell him what you've done, take the tools back or the equivalency in money and put it right and you'll never have to worry about it again. And let me just say that that, uh, this this idea uh, of a clear conscience, it empowers your testimony, and and it gets you off defense. It gets you back into the battle. But let me give you this one. A clear conscience empowers your testimony. A clear conscience empowers your testimony. Your walk validates your talk. A holy life will speak. You see, a conscientious person has a platform from which to testify because they've earned the right to be heard. People tend to listen to those who are humble and honest. I was back in uh, teenage years. I had a two twenty-two rifle with a cheap scope back in the woods, back there on the farm, and here a deer poked its head out of the woods, walked out in the open about 400 yards away. I said, well, I'll, I'll just, uh, I've never shot that far, and I don't even know if the scope is, uh, um, you know, sighted in. It's probably been knocked out of, knocked out of, out of, out of uh correct position, so I I just leaned up on my 49 Chevrolet two-door coupe that I wish I still had, and I put the bead on that deer 400 yards away, pulled the trigger. Instantaneously, surprisingly, the deer fell over. Man, it was sighted in. So I went and got that thing, brought it to the house, got my father to help me. Pastor, if I had committed murder, I wouldn't have felt any guiltier. I, I, I'm telling you, I felt really bad. We cleaned it. We got rid of the meat. We took the hide, threw it in the creek. And I'm, I'm moping around the house, you know. Man, I got a cloud over me. I'm feeling, oh, what, I, what are you doing? And, and, and after about three days, I couldn't take it. So I went to a deputy sheriff who was a friend, told him what had happened was willing to pay any price just to be freed up from this badgering conscience. He went and talked to the judge. Came back out and said, judge said, you don't have to pay anything this time. Just don't do it again. I would have paid anything. I would have done anything. And can I say something to you? That, uh, That when you clear your conscience, even when you've been wrong, It speaks volumes to people to find somebody that's honest and humble enough to put something right. Let me tell you this when it comes to testimony. People can't identify with perfection. But they can identify with weakness. And when you've got a sinner's testimony and you've come back into the light, you'll help the other man that's maybe still in darkness and help him get out of the darkness. Amen? Well, it empowers your testimony. Number five, uh, a clear conscience Uh, brings physical restoration, physical restoration. David said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Physical repercussions with an unclear conscience. You see, a violated conscience causes premature aging. It dehydrates the body. My moisture has turned into the drought of summer. Damaged, emo- damaged conscience can affect your glands. I heard that the Indians used to have a custom. If they wanted to discover who was guilty when something was stolen, is they would line up the uh, uh, suspects. Then they would take a red hot knife and the suspects would have to stick their tongues out and the guy would take that red hot knife and barely, barely touch the tongue with the knife. And when they hit, when the knife hit a wet tongue and sizzled, they knew he was okay. They kept on moving. But when that knife hit a dry tongue and it didn't sizzle, they knew they had a bad Indian, a bad Indian. And can I say something to you? A violated conscience will affect the functions of your body. Guilt brings uh, illness. A Christian doctor say that they could empty the hospitals by two-thirds if the people would just get right with God and get right with man. And I want to tell you that a clear conscience has health benefits. It has health benefits. But let me give you this one. A clear conscience will energize your service. It will energize your service. Apathy is often because of a dull conscience or a violated conscience. Paul said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience. Now listen to me. The only thing that can in the universe that can cleanse your conscience is not self-improvement. It's not trying to do better next time. It's not making a decision or a rededication. Where in the world the Baptist came up with that Catholic thing? I'll never know. That's not what it's all about. The only thing that can clear your conscience is the blood of Jesus. Hebrews says, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, people with a violated conscience are reluctant to minister and witness because it's not working for them and they're not sure they want to pass it on. You know, but clearing your conscience will get you off the bench and get you back in the game. And let me just say something to you. Instead of worrying about doing everything perfect, just go ahead and do something imperfect. And, and, and Well, I, I'm not the best witness. I, I don't know how to put things. Doing something is better than doing nothing. <laughs> and if you go ahead and do something imperfectly, God can use that more than you doing nothing. Amen? So if you've got a bad conscience, get it under the blood, get right, and go out and talk to somebody about Jesus this afternoon. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, it will energize your service. And then number eight, A cleansed conscience will increase your giving and worship. It increases your giving and worship. Therefore, if thou comes to the altar and bringest thy gift, and there remember that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. A wrecked conscience contaminates every area of your Christian life. But a restored conscience revitalizes every area of your Christian life. Remember Zacchaeus, that wee little man? <laughs> he got right with God, and then he got right with others. And what did he say? If I have taken anything by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Your relationship with God affects your relationship with men. And the clearing of the conscience changes your attitude about giving and about serving. Why? Because you get off the sideline and you get back on the front line laying up treasures. Not on earth, but in heaven. Herein do I exercise myself, Paul said, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. A restored conscience is awakened. It's cleansed. It's recalibrated. Listen, young people. In the Christian life, it's not always uphill. There's detours. There's dead ends. And there's dry holes. And I want to tell you, uh, when sin has taken you farther than you wanted to go, kept you longer than you wanted to stay, and, 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 and cost you more than you wanted to pay, God's grace is still stronger than your failure. Let me tell you what the perseverance of the saints is. The perseverance of the saints is innumerable second chances. Innumerable second chances. And don't, don't feel like you got to beat yourself for about three weeks for your last failure so you'll merit the favor of God. Quit going to Baptist Mass and get to the cross and get your sins under the blood. Say amen on that point right there. Amen. I mean, we act like a bunch of Catholics. I know I do. You know, that's our heart, you know. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And when you confess your sin, just go ahead and say, God, thank you for cleansing me. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. Go ahead and believe God anyway by faith. Amen. Y'all are going to be helped here in this place. Here's a place that preaches faith. I'm so encouraged by that. Now, will you commit yourself to get a clear conscience? Will you commit yourself to get a clear conscience? The scope of the transgression will determine the scope of the confession. The scope of the transgression will determine the scope of the confession. If it's a personal thing, talk to God about it. You don't need to broadcast it. If it's Personal thing, talk to God about it. It's a private thing. Talk to the individuals involved. If it's a public sin, you need a public confession. And the scope of the transgression will always determine the scope of the uh, confession. Life is too short to live with emotional baggage. I have an announcement. There's not a perfect person in this this room here this morning. Except for one, God the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He's the only one. And he's got more grace than what we'll ever consume. Amen? Amen. And his goodness leads us to repentance. So listen, bring up, pull out your little card. Pull out your, your card. Now, here's what I want you to do. If there's someone that God has put on your heart, you don't even have to pray about it. You know who it is. And if God has put on your heart somebody you need to clear your conscience with, I want you to write that name on your card right now. Think about... 30 seconds. Clearing of the conscience. Some dishonest action, incomplete truth, delayed obedience, disrespect for parents, whatever. Uncouth toward your nerd roommate, whatever. Just, just, just put it down right there. Now, you say, how do you, how do you, how do, how's, how do you go about clearing your conscience? All right, a couple of things. You need to pray about it. You need to ask God to forgive you. And, and you don't need to take two hours to do that. Just name it. And then, Lord, I'm going to act on this at first opportunity. And go for it. When you go to people to clear your conscience, be very, very clear the way you go about it. Don't ever go up to somebody and say, if I've ever done anything to offend you. Don't ever stand in chapel or church. If I've ever done anything to offend anybody, I'm just, want to ask you to free. No, no, the ifs never solved anything. And if you haven't done anything, you don't need to say anything. But if you did something, own up to it. And here's the way you do it. Ten words. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong in name it. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Let's let's practice out loud. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Older men, join in. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, do you need to say that to anybody? Hey, it's pretty simple, isn't it? And, and, and I want to tell you. Uh, Go person to person as much as possible and make restitution. Take responsibility for the wrongs you've called others and do it now. Because Paul said, herein do I exercise myself always to have had a conscience void of offense toward God and man. He had participated in murder, but he got a clear conscience. <laughs> he was a Pharisee, but he got a clear conscience. And God can help us to walk with a clear conscience. Amen? Bow your head right now. And uh, if you need to clear your conscience, just say, God, thank you for speaking to me. Lord, forgive me for walking in darkness. And Lord, empower me to go and to act in obedience. To put things right horizontally where things have gone wrong. Pastor Van Geldern will come and give us a word here. This would be more important than eating lunch if you need to make a phone call. This would be more important than whatever if you need to square it with somebody here in this room. Herein do I exercise myself always to have had a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Pray it out. Pastor will give us further direction.